All right, episode 22, and it's a significant moment because we officially concluded our journey through the book of Acts this week. Kind of sad. It is sad. It's like, uh, I don't know, saying goodbye to an old friend. Something like very, that. Very quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> yeah, we pretty much rushed her out the door or her out the door. Whoever was like, hey, you know, we're going to just finish eight chapters. Even if you long, go home. Get, it, get out of here. We're done here. So, Brandon Pete here for this episode. And um, yeah, Pete, what do you got for us? Or what do you got for me? Well, I, uh, you know, as we kind of talked about where to take this morning, if you, for those of you that were with us yesterday or had a chance to watch it online, it was a very uh, speedy run through eight chapters, <laughs> given it took us six months to get through the first 20. Uh, and so some of the things that you touched on were things that I would say like, you know, we had sort of briefly touched on previously, but yep. sort of bringing it home and, and really the direction just to kind of clarify was really sort of a final stamp on um, looking at what you saw in Paul as a person mm -hmm. uh, in terms of what does it mean for us around the word resiliency and uh, just some good stuff. And there are definitely some parallels with uh, the talk you had given on like the eulogy of Paul, who he was as a person and what kind of things that we would want to pull out of that. Um, so as I was sort of sitting there yesterday and thinking through different things, there's obviously sort of sitting the, there. What well, does that sort mean? of sitting there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? That's I a good know. question. As I was sitting there, sort okay. of listening. That's, oh, that's great. Even okay. Worse. Okay. Uh, you know, I was just thinking, and I actually, you know, there, there's a couple of ways that your 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 talk we kind of dig it a little deeper into the text itself, um, and I, I don't want to like put words in your mouth or maybe pose a question you can answer, but it's pretty safe to say that those were eight chapters that you could kind of go through pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and maybe you didn't really get into that because you had a very, you had a very concise amount of time yesterday because of other things that were going on. Maybe explain why you were comfortable saying, I know it's eight chapters, but here's why I was able to go through it pretty quick. Yeah. I think because when you look at those eight chapters, a lot of it's kind of like travel logs for, for Paul right. and kind of his final missionary stints and even just being arrested and getting transported different places. And so I didn't see a lot of preaching content when I was talking about he went from this place to this place, this place, this place. But then a couple of the chapters, he does give his testimony twice mm -hmm. in those eight chapters. And so it's the same content. And I've already preached that content when we did Acts chapter 9. Um, and then some of the other things that were in there, I mean, I could have went with the angle at one point as far as how does Paul talk about his faith? Well, I've kind of already did that when we went through Acts 16. And so looking at just the content and seeing it's either repeated material that we've already covered, some of it is, it is just like following different routes that Paul went on. Uh, I saw it to be something we could quickly kind of move through, and yeah. I, I didn't see it was adding anything additional to what we've already been through for the last six months. Sure. And for the record, for those of you that have been with us for a while... This is kind of the third time we've done that. <laughs> like we, we did Mark, and we spent like five months, and then we're like, five yeah. chapters, oh, we're done. And then John. But John, we probably a little bit, but I agree with you with Acts. And even when you talked about originally saying like, hey, I want to go through Acts, one of my first comments yeah, to you, you was- this is going to be hard when we get to the end. With the end, really. Yeah. So here's a question, and I don't, I'm not asking you this because I'm sure you have an answer. Maybe you've thought about it, maybe you haven't. I haven't thought about it a ton until this. If you are this guy, Luke, who we don't know a lot about Luke, but Luke sits down and says, I'm going to write the, the story of the early church, and I'm going to put into the pages of history 
the most important things, uh, which when you look at the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's, that's what you see. The book of Acts, the last eight chapters are just repeating the same thing over and over again. And if you think about how hard it was to write and to copy, I mean, to create a letter, I, I heard a scholar say he thinks it took Paul six months to create the book of Romans. Like, why did Luke repeat things so much at the end? Like, why keep telling, oh, Paul? like he literally seems to say that Paul, he gives Paul giving the same talk over and over and over to like four people. Why do you think Luke bothered with that? Any Ever thought about that? Never. <laughs> what do you think about that? Welcome to Digging Deeper. <laughs> I never have had that thought besides maybe just first thing that comes to mind is just, I mean, it's it's what he either heard or witnessed. And so he was just trying to be true to what he observed. I mean, for part of that two years, he's in prison. So there's not a whole lot to write about. So he just kind of hmm. skips to the next thing. And then he's under house arrest. I, I, don't, I don't really know. What, what do you think, Pete? <laughs> <laughs> this is going to go down as the greatest Digging Deeper ever. I don't know happened. that I have an answer either. I was asking you. No, well, I, I, I mean, I could guess, and I, I guess we'd both be guessing. Um, I do think, though, about the way that John said, if I were to write everything down, the scrolls would fill the ocean, right? Yeah. So I only chose the important things. Well, Luke must have had a similar thought, and yet Paul talks to this guy, Paul talks to this guy, Paul talks to this guy, and he kind of says the same thing. Travels here, travels here, travels there. Um I guess I've thought about maybe does he want us to see the way the gospel kept approaching higher levels of government? Yeah. The way it was almost spreading. And if you joined us online or in person, you our opening video that Jean made kind of these like points of light that keep spreading out in the way that a small thing, here's Paul going to the local governor, a bigger governor. And next thing you know, he's in Rome talking to the emperor. Um, it definitely seems like, I mean, right. You've got Acts 1-8 to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. And ends of the earth is likely, I'm assuming, representing Rome. Rome. And so that's where the whole story ends. And so maybe just kind of like you're saying, wanting to make sure to see just the way in which even Acts 1-8 was fulfilled and the gospel did eventually reach the ends of the earth with Paul going there. But but that last segment of his journey uh, didn't happen quickly. And there was a lot of, like I said, he was incarcerated, shipwrecks, all those other things. And so... um, yeah, that's, that's an interesting thought. Never. Right. I that's mean, okay. That was worth asking. Uh, I don't know if it's worth listening to. <laughs> people right people now wondering, like, forward. where are we going right now? Um, I do have almost a completely different direction. And there's there's two ways we can go from that. And I, maybe we have time to talk about both of them separately. But the first is, um, when you were talking on Sunday, and part of Digging Deeper, I think, is always fun just to get into the stuff behind it, how we feel. Um, you talked about Paul... Having a pretty rough life um, shortly after opening our time together by addressing the Roe v. Wade stuff. Um, And here's what's interesting. I have, uh, like many people, um, have spent a lot of my life coming to understand myself, right? Uh, I think the, you know, know thyself is such an important call. Understanding who you are, how you're wired. And one thing that I have come to know about myself, both through study and things like the Enneagram and things, is that my personality type craves and longs for peace. <laughs> like peace is the most important thing to me. Mm-hmm. I was talking to Matt Heinersy and we were talking about um, how you see these ideas of love, joy, and peace and how they're important to every human being, but we all prioritize them differently. 
Um, for some of us, love relationships is at the top. And so we'll sacrifice joy and peace for relationships. Other people, like my wife, I think, it's like, joy, I want to have fun. I want to enjoy. Wanna, and like, sometimes that means I'll risk peace, like Robert would risk peace in order to have joy. I'm somebody that will put joy and sometimes relationships lower than just peace. Hmm. So sitting there on a Sunday morning and being reminded about <laughs> the chaos, the the city burning behind us with all the <laughs> riots and stuff. And then here's Paul who had no peace. Yeah. I mean, shipwrecks and stuff. Um, it was like almost, I felt a little stressed, like a little bit like, Ugh, you know? Um, so I guess two questions. One, what would be like for you if we were to say like, here's these three ideas, joy, peace, relationships, love, where do you lay on that spectrum? Like which of those three sort of becomes your peak value and which ones would you say maybe you would hmm. give up to get the third one? Have you thought about that before? No, I've never really had that triad put together like that of love, joy, and peace. Um, I think just if I were to rank them initially, I would probably put love at the top. The importance of relationships. Important relationships people. and yeah. with people. Um, peace, number two. And joy number three. So how is, I guess, speaking then into what is now starting to become another situation. Uh, <laughs> Are we talking about Roe v. Wade? Well, I think. Or just no, the just political climate, just cultural world, climate. You know, like yeah. when you're a person that longs for healthy relationships and then a person who also has the secondary of peace. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Like, how are you, how are you, how are you dealing with that internally? As it's getting a little crazy again. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that, I think it's how I define love. And I don't necessarily feel like that love is just a feeling of, of warmth and everything is good. I think love is the embodiment of grace and truth. And so I'm willing to lean into the truth side, which sometimes is going to cause division and sometimes friction in a relationship, um, which may violate and and not bring the peace, but true love is found only when you have grace and truth. Hmm. So I won't move to the next level of peace um, until I feel like there's true love that's existent. And I, and I think there has to be both. Now, I don't like at times the way that love brings friction and division and all those types of things, but I think it's the highest call that God's given us in our life. And so I'm willing to wade into those types of conversations and situations at the expense of peace for a period of time, so long as I think that there's an opportunity for people or myself to experience love and ultimately experience relationships as God desires. And if that happens, I think then the byproduct then does move to a place of peace, and right on the heels of that is then you are filled with joy. Um, so I probably see them all interrelated, but if you, if you don't have true love with grace and truth combined, then the peace could be arbitrary and, and then the joy is just temporal, which I would say then is more happiness versus true joy, which is abiding long-term. Yeah. I would say it seems like, and just tying it into what you talked about, you know, you talked about Paul, his resiliency, you looked at a couple of different aspects of that, um, in terms of, you know the calling, knowing what God had called him to. And the sort of, I thought about the verse in uh, Proverbs that references the children of Israel without vision, the people cast off restraint or give up. Um, like Paul kept this vision of this is what God's calling. 
but there's also this idea of, of gratitude and what mm-hmm. he's focusing on and, and what he's putting before him and, and his just commitment, his faithfulness, all these things building to resiliency. Um, I think it was just an interesting, it was interesting for me sitting there in this moment. <clears throat> and again, if you didn't watch it you jump online, and watch it. Um, the two things had nothing to do with each other. The opening four or five minutes of addressing a world event that you felt important to talk about had nothing to do with your message. But at the same time, they were sort of blurred together very quickly because here's Paul <clears throat> keeping this vision of what's important, choosing to be gracious and focus on good yeah. things and choosing to be faithful despite his circumstances. And then you addressing us as a community, as a church, about what does it mean to keep <laughs> being well, resilient and I would, going. I do think that <clears throat> I didn't... I already knew the direction I was going to be going before the announcement came out on Friday, yeah. June 24th, about Roe v. Wade. But I think the life that we see Paul live, and this is me being challenged personally, because I, I was very honest, I don't, I don't want that life. <laughs> I just don't want really. that life. I want peace. <laughs> at all. Yeah, I would definitely take that over what Second Corinthians labels all the crap that he went through. But I, I do believe that like we have lived under an illusion, um, at least in our generation, that following Jesus brings about peace, because scripturally it seems that it brought about uh, maybe peace internally in the soul, but it was dire circumstances, especially in the early uh, ages of the church. And I think that looking at what is trans, uh, translated into or, or starting to take place in our culture, that message is hopefully somewhat prophetic for you, for all of us and for me, because resiliency is going to be necessary, because I, I think we're going to be moving into a time of greater hostility towards Christians. I just think that's where the culture is going. I think the announcement of Roe v. Wade and going back to the states, I, I think lines are now drawn, and eventually you're going to find states that label themselves based upon their religious belief, and some states that want nothing to do with religious belief. Mm. And I think that there's a lot of things that are going to happen, particularly in our state that we live in, in California, that, that could be uh, difficult um, for Christians to endure, um, because the way that this this decision is even being framed is this is the result of pro-life conservative Christians over the last 50 years who've done this. And so there's people that are upset about that. And so that could cause issues with our, you know, with our belief when we say we believe in Jesus and, and we get lumped into, there are various sects and segments of Christians and how they respond to this thing. But, but I think that message is important because there could be a time that we're entering into where we can't just take for granted that there's going to be some like peace and acceptance and everybody believes the same thing and Christian morals and values are what are um, the norm of our culture because it doesn't seem that's the way the direction's heading. Yeah. I think one thing that I wrestle with is, uh, and again, the reason I brought up that whole thing about <clears throat> peace and relationships and joy and things is there's a thing inside of my brain <clears throat> that wants to say, Pete, you will be happiest if you just stay out of it. <laughs> so turn off your phone, stop arguing, just ignore it. Um, and not ignore it as in pretend it's not happening. I can't pretend things aren't happening, but just stay out of it. Um, and the other side of the argument is, well, if you as a Christian stay out of it, how will it ever get better? Um almost like I'm teaching this church history class for Rise U, and I think you were in there last week and heard me, like, um, I talked about monasticism. And, I mean, you know, if you want to talk about 
a human being who probably was wired to be a monk. I mean, come on. I think Pete's some, a monk? Sometimes that sounds Man, amazing can a, to can me. Can we get like a gif for that or gif or whatever those things are called? Like, um, But just like the idea of like retreating from society. and I can see um, you in one of those Pope hats. I, I would love a Pope hat. If I was in charge, everything would be better. Yeah. But I'm just talking about like the, the retreating from society yeah. in order to just, you know, seek Jesus and mm-hmm. take care of my own spiritual health. Um. And I talked about how there were benefits from it. People, um, you know, people went out into the into the desert and really found a depth and passion for Jesus that was missing in a lot of the world. There were good things that came out of it. But I also made the comment at the end where I said, in analyzing, you also, to be honest, and I, I think the way I put it, and I don't think this was an original thought I had, I'm sure I heard this in seminary, there is this statement that because of the monks, so much knowledge and information survived the dark ages because they were holding on to it when everything was falling apart. But the response to that is, well, actually, how do we know that the fact that all of some of the best and brightest and most committed Christians leaving and going and live in the desert isn't what caused the dark ages? Yeah, um, it was Christian. Could it have been Christians ignoring Jesus's call to be a city on a hill that actually led to the problems? And I wrestle with that because I see both sides. I see sometimes knowing from my own health and my own well-being, just staying out of that stuff and not even thinking about it, much less arguing about it or looking about it on social media, is better for me as a person. Hmm. And I just want to tell people, just stop, leave it alone. But then it's like, well, on the other side, what if me saying leaving alone is letting things that shouldn't happen run rampant and happen? Um, And I really don't have an answer. You seem much more inclined as a person to wade into those waters again maybe because you prioritize the relationships and you see broken relationships and want to whereas i want peace and i'm like stay out of it what would you say to somebody who says brandon i just want to stay out of it i don't want to get involved like where do you come down on that i i think people can have different responses Hmm. i i feel a little bit based upon the role and position I have as a pastor and a leader of a community of faith, it's important to speak into that realm because it definitely has a faith element to it, and the entire culture is talking about it. Right. So I I would feel reticent to not say something about it, and I feel like that would be like not being a good leader, um, to at least to share, um, just kind of, at least from a biblical worldview, this is how we perceive these things. And so that, part of that is what drives me to speak into those situations. Um, but I think the level that I do or someone else does, I don't know if everyone has to. Like I was asked to share a bunch of stuff on social media about this and I chose not to because I didn't think that that was the right platform and the right arena to um, to wade into. And I was told that you're being a coward and you're unwilling to like really put yourself out there. And I was like, so... So evidently to some people, I didn't say enough in the right places. And to some, maybe like yourself, you're saying like, well, why did you talk about it at all? And I, I don't know what the answer to that is. I just think that there's got to be someone and people that God raises up to speak, what I would say on his behalf from the scriptural and biblical worldview. Um, but there are people in the Bible that that are called to be apostles and to to, hmm. to go and to share and bear witness to the good news. And there's also... People are told to live quiet lives and just to honor Christ kind of in the comfort of their own settings. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think there's a projected calling for everyone, but I think everyone needs to at least personally wrestle with what they believe and how they're going to have a conversation about it because it's going to enter into your conversations because of how prominent it is. Yeah. Um, 
you know, something you said in your church history class, which Jamie and I uh, were wrestling with, was like, you talked about when Christianity shifted from this grassroots, organic movement of a lot of marginalized people to then all of a sudden now being named the official religion of the Roman Empire, and there was status and wealth now attached to it. How did you know really the pure motives of someone being a Christian? Was it because of their love for Jesus, or was it because of their cultural and positional advancement? Right. And I think in this time that we live in, there's a reproval going on that's really asking those types of questions. It's going to cause people to ask those questions of like, it was accepted, and it actually could get you greater benefits of being a Christian in America over the last 50 years. Sure. We're moving away from that. And so now, if that's not the motivation, perhaps our, our devotion to Jesus will be richer or we'll completely retreat it because we're going to have to turn to him because it's not going to gain us anything. Ultimately, what it's going to gain us is what Jesus wanted to give us, which is him. Yeah. So I, I think that there's there's a part of that too where like I want to put myself out there because if it, if it actually brings on some criticism and it actually maybe causes me, which is one of my vices of like wanting to be liked by people, but now I'm going to be not liked by some people, it makes me turn to Jesus even more. And say this is what is this what I really believe, and 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 whether that means I get accepted or not accepted, I, I'm going to stand on that. And so I'll I might sacrifice or forfeit peace for the sake of that. I think that's good. I, you said something I want to clarify. Um, just I don't know if a listener yeah. might misunderstand what you said. I wasn't opposed to you talking about it. You actually texted me earlier. What I, that was my thought? Yeah, yeah. I said yeah. I think you should. I really like what you just said. I and it. <laughs> This is going to sound like I'm rabbit trailing. I'm not. It's coming back. <clears throat> um, I'm actually 100% with you in the idea that it's okay that we're different people mm. <laughs> and that my call might be different than your call. I think if we're just talking about personality traits, my my the way that I'm wired makes me a good teacher because I'm calm. I explain things well. Yeah. I don't get emotional. Absolutely. I can see through emotion and just talk about the facts but it doesn't make me necessarily a good cheerleader when we need a cheerleader. Um, and it doesn't necessarily make me a good, um, come on guys, <laughs> when you need to be a come on, I'm, I'm not that guy. And so having that person, I don't need to be what, I, it's okay sometimes for me to be like, you know, I'm yeah. gonna stay out of this one. Um, I was listening to another podcast with uh, Jack Black, the lead singer of the White Stripes, formerly the White Stripes. Jack uh, Black, like the... Is it not Jack Black? Schoolhouse Rock? Jack White. Jack White. From Jack White. Oh, Jack I'm, White. Think, I'm thinking of no, White. <laughs> Jack White from the White Stripes. Oh, man. Um, and he was talking about, uh, he was talking about the world today, social media, and he was actually talking about podcasts. It was, it was cool just hearing him talk. And he was saying how interesting it is today. And Jean's uh, going to love this. Uh, his <laughs> argument was basically like how, he was pointing out how interesting it is that 10 years ago, if you would say, in 2022, people are going to love long form rambling <laughs> content. You're like, no, people, people's attention spans are getting shorter. They yeah. want quick hits. They want things. And it's not true. Right. The most listened to things in the world today are hour and a half long podcasts where two comedians. Yeah, John, sit. why are you making and this so, cutting off 30 minutes, yeah. man? <laughs> it really is. Like, We're on for another 90. Like Here we go. Podcasts are getting longer and longer <laughs> yeah. and people are listening to it. And he, here's what he said. It was so interesting. He said, part of the issue is he, he's talking about how for a while YouTube was just like, you know, here's some random Joe spouting off his opinion. Now YouTube actually has like woodworkers doing real woodworking on camera. 
and people who actually know what they're talking about have now gotten back into YouTube and TED Talks and master classes. And he was talking about basically like the death of expertise and what was really becoming this like the more social media, not just social media, but the internet. And it's like anyone that was an expert was dying away. We don't, we don't want experts. We want everyone to have an opinion. And it's almost like the long form conversations. It's slowly like people are like, well, actually, do we need some experts? Do we need some people who know what they're talking about here? And I was just even thinking how part of the issue, and I know we can always harp on social media almost becomes like a four letter word, like, oh, social media. But there is something to be said about when a serious legitimate issue arises, whether it's in society or in the church, we live in a world where everybody has something to say about it, yeah. but not everybody should have something to say about it. Yeah. The idea that your opinion always matters is nonsense. My opinion about cars or computers <laughs> doesn't matter because I don't, don't know, know anything about, about it. Yeah. My opinion about church history, about what the book of Romans is about, does matter. I have a doctorate. I've studied it. And I think like even to say like in this moment, I might have an opinion about this issue, but I'm not the one that should voice it. And who should voice it? Who should step up and say, I, I do have some place to speak into this? And it's almost like if we could, you know, it's not about getting rid of social media. That that ship is long sailed. But to provide opportunities where people that actually do have some authority, do have some expertise can speak into something. And maybe the people that don't can be okay just stepping back and saying, this isn't my, I'm not going to speak into this now. Um, and I don't know, I, I think like, I appreciated you getting up and, and sharing what you shared. And I, I felt like it, I do feel like it's your place. I, and I'm not saying you're an expert on that particular issue, but you're the leader of our organization, our church. Your God is, a, God has called you to lead this body. And so um, I appreciate it. I thought it was good. I just think it's interesting the way that we all want to think that we should have an opinion. <laughs> well, and I, and I would just say, or voice our opinion. It's okay. Yeah, and I would, and I would yeah. say like, the verdict came out on Friday. I sent something to our staff Friday afternoon. I then talked to our elders. I texted back and forth with some of my mentors. I wrestled through it on Saturday. Saturday night, I prayed through it. And then Sunday, I ended up sharing. So the other part of it, too, is like if you are going to say something, this nonsense of I have to speak my mind in the actual moment without taking time to collect your thoughts, see different sides, get advice, hear what you're going to say and how it's going to be heard. Like We just have such a reactionary and emotional-driven culture of commentary that just everything gets so heightened and, mm -hmm. and hijacked that it becomes really destructive. And I think that the people that actually, you can tell when someone has taken time to think through something and they've calculated their words and they calculated what's going to be the response to their words versus just, I'm going to make a post and, and I need the world to hear it. And, and that's all a lot of people are doing right now. And it's not to say what I said or how I said it was what was best, but like, I promise you did not go without a lot of thought and getting feedback before I just opened my mouth. Yeah. And I think I heard like some of that. I, I wasn't in second service, but as a Christian, again, now we're tying these ideas. Should I be involved? What should I think about it? You know, and where, where I was even kind of going with the expertise thing is um, when you said, 
a little bit ago, you know, is the world moving away from being, you know, how do you know if someone's a Christian? What does it actually look like to be a Christian? Are you in it for the right reasons? Things like that. I think I agree with that. I 100% agree with that. But I think that kind of already happened. Hmm. I, I really think like even in the 90s, I felt like that was happening. Um, I don't feel I live in a society that I have anything to gain right now from being a Christian. Um, I think maybe, and it, I do think it's getting worse. I think a bigger issue is because everyone has an opinion, because everything is just blasted out for everyone all the time and no one, no, no, a lot of people don't have the skill of sifting well, more than the issue of, am I a real Christian or not? Is I'm a Christian who wants to obey Jesus, but I don't actually know what it looks like to obey Jesus. Yeah. When like, let me just say this, and there are people that listening that might be furious to hear this, but I'm going to say it anyway. There are people living on planet Earth whose heart loves Jesus and is committed to him. And their brain says, I can be pro-choice and love Jesus. There are people who are committed in their heart and mind to Jesus who think, I can be affirming of same-sex attraction and transgenderism. Right? Like, that's not a unicorn. That's not a, what? <laughs> it might have been 100 years ago. It's not today. Yeah. And so even saying like, well, it's hard to be a Christian now, there are a lot of Christians who disagree about this issue. Yeah. And so it's almost like in that, when I, what I was bringing about expertise is like, who is actually able in the church, in the Christian community to say, listen, this is what's truth and here's why it's true and this isn't. And where are we getting our information, our knowledge? What are we basing our beliefs on? I think one of the real problems with the church today is the death of authority. Um, and there are pros to it. I mean, we could have a whole other podcast about the ways that authority is abusive and power corrupts and all this kind of stuff. But the death of authority, and going back to my church history class, I talked about how within the first two centuries, it got so crazy and all this wacky, wild stuff was being taught and all these heresies and weird things. One of the ways the church responded was by appointing bishops and saying, you've been taught well, you knew what the, Jesus and the apostles taught, you're in charge here to say like, guys, that's not true, this is. They created creeds of these are the truths we're going to hold on to because they had so many people just, we're Christians, but we don't believe the same thing. And, and I find the tension, if you are not a Christian and you disagree with me politically, I'm not like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know you have a different worldview than me. Um, but if you and I read the same Bible and are committed to the same Bible and both confess the same creeds and like things, and we, we disagree on major issues, it's almost like, wait a minute, how do we move past this? Hmm. Um, and, and that's really hard for me, especially when I hear people say, well, I believe this because of this, this, and this. And it's like, those are ridiculous sources. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, and it's like, well, who are you to tell me what's true about the Bible? <laughs> and you know, you, again, you want to be like, <laughs> yeah. well, I've spent, you know, 12 years in college. Yeah. I don't know. Like, what do you want me to say yeah. here? Uh, not 12, but, um, <laughs> I don't like know. 16. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I, it's interesting. And, yeah. and I don't know what to do about it because power and, and, and authority are dangerous words in a postmodern deconstructionist society. But for the Christians to say, like, who has studied it? Who can give me the truth regardless of how I feel? That I can be like, this person knows what they're talking about. And they're telling me based on study and research and, and historical fact, this is this is the truth of scripture. Like trying to get back to that is so hard. 
Uh, and there's no question in my last four minute ramble. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts? <laughs> Sorry, I just went off on a tangent. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, the only thing that's coming to mind is we just live in such a hyper individualized society now. We do that? It's I don't I don't think you're coming back to some type of level of authority. Um, Unless people Unless get so desperate, desperate for it. yeah, or the chaos ensues. So yeah, far. something's going to have to happen because everything is individualized, and so um, people are always we're conditioned to believe our opinion is the opinion, and it's not the opinion; it's the truth. And so, and so, when you look at a book and say, "Oh, the Bible, this is the truth," like that in and of itself is like, eh, there's just so much skepticism around it. So, yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a really it's a really uh, interesting, scary, and also exciting time to live as a Christian. Um, and one of the things I've loved about your church history class as we kind of try to wrap up is <laughs> there, there are new wineskins to how these these things are playing out, but they're the same problems that have been going on for you know yeah. two millennia now of, of, of whether it's individualism, uh, authority, power, um, sexual ethics, all these types of things. I mean, even abortion was back. I mean, that was something that I think put the church... On the map in the first century with Rome, when mm-hmm. it, when they were throwing away children in exposure, and it was the Christians that were getting the children because they valued the life and bringing these children into their homes. Like that, for me, is one of the things that makes me so pro-life. Is because the church became distinct and known because of how they saved the lives of these children yeah. when everyone else was thrown into the wayside. And so, but but a lot, a lot of people even know that they haven't studied that and read that and, and learned that. So. I just think I, I appreciate the, the diversity of the body that that we all have different roles, um, and and we've got to lean into that. But I do think that there's a level of um, to to kind of kind of put a bow on it. Right? Acts said that they went about at the end with boldness and without hindrance, preaching the gospel. And there's going to be a necessary level of boldness and an aspect of without hindrance that we're saying at the end of the day, like this is what I've staked my life on, and. And if I believe this, and this is everything that I'm going to say is going to shape me, then it, one, I need to like really press in to understand it, but also, am I going to stand up for it? I know we're almost done. I just have to respond to one thing. You, you didn't finish the sentence. They went about preaching the kingdom and explaining the teachings of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus are the authoritative truths yeah. of what god expects of human beings like they weren't afraid to say jesus wants you to believe this not yeah. that and i think that's that i'm with you i'm 100 with you like yeah. I, I it's like we we don't even agree on what jesus actually taught <laughs> that's hard that's really hard yeah um the good news is uh you're gonna take a, a few weeks off this summer and then come back and clearly explain everything to us <laughs> yes that's what i'm gonna be doing i'm gonna be doing so yeah acts has ended you're you guys are kicking off a series in july yeah and, it's gonna uh, be a lot of fun i'm gonna sort through all my thoughts and, and yeah. we'll, we'll see what we come out. i think i'm gonna talk about money when i get back actually so sure. another non-controversial topic why not why i mean right in the middle of a high inflationary yeah. cycle why not talk about money it. and let's do it god's economy so but yeah, Axe was fun. Excited for uh, you. You got a kind of a standalone message this this Sunday. To, I'm excited for people to get a chance to understand Jesus and Formula One at the same time. If I Formula One car racing. Yes. Yeah. So that there's your teaser. So don't worry, you don't have to like cars. I don't. <laughs> it's gonna be great. So 
Well, it's been a good conversation. Thanks for joining with us again for digging deeper. And uh, yeah, make sure not next Monday, because that's 4th July. So we'll probably be recording on Tuesday. So sometime middle of next week for the next episode, number 23. Okay. All right, guys. Have a good one. See you.